Amen. Well, thank you again for being with us this Lord's Day. If you will, look in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. That is our text this Lord's Day. If you're a guest with us, we have a pew Bible there in front of you. You can turn to page 1001, and that is the book of Hebrews. Now, if this is your first Sunday at Bloomfield in a while, or if you're just visiting with us, we, we walk through books of the Bible together. And so we started uh, just a few weeks ago walking through the book of Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews is a letter written uh, to a group of Hebrew Christians. These were people who had been raised in Judaism and had come to faith in Christ. And it's being written to them in a time of great persecution where many were being tempted to walk away from their faith in Christ. Uh, there were people calling them back to Judaism, calling them to, uh, to turn away from their new faith in Jesus. And so uh, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, uh, but this writer, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is writing to encourage these believers to stand firm in their faith. And so as we walked through the first chapter together, we saw how the writer was making it very clear uh, that Jesus is supreme, that he is sovereign, uh, that he is Lord of all. And we will now see in chapter 2, as he gives us instruction now related to what we're to do with our faith in Christ. So in chapter 1, it was really foundational. He's just teaching us about Jesus. The author doesn't tell us anything we're supposed to do. But now we get to chapter 2, and now we have a command that we are to follow. And so today we're going to look at the beginning of chapter 2, at Hebrews 2, verses 1 through 4. And because this is the holy, inspired, righteous word of God, I had a reverence for it if you're able to. Would you stand together as I read our text for us this Lord's Day? We live in a culture where people will often say things like they want to hear a word from God. Well, this is God's word. And this is what it says. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. If you will, pray with me. Father God, we thank You for this Word You have given to us. And we pray that we would pay much closer attention to it. I pray especially in these moments, Lord, as we walk through this passage together that You would protect us from those things that might distract us, that might keep us from paying attention to it. And I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would do a work in us today, and that you would call us to faith and to repentance and to trust. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. For those of you who know much about me, you know that I enjoy fishing, and so I I'm always interested when I see a, a news story pop up that's related in some way to fishing, and I saw one like that this last fall. Perhaps you saw it as well. It was a, a story out of Indonesia about a teenage boy uh, who had gotten a job as a fisherman, and, and in his context, what he was to do was he was placed on a raft 
off the coast of Indonesia, and on that raft was a little hut, and he was given a week's worth of supplies, and he was to fish all throughout the week, and then the owner of the raft would come by the next week, collect the fish, give him more provisions, and he would do this week after week after week, fishing from this raft. And all of that went well and good until one day a a strong storm came through and it it snapped his anchor line and he began to drift out to sea. Now, this would probably terrify most of us, but for this young man, he had actually been in this situation a couple of times before. He had been in storms and the line had snapped and he had drifted at times for a few days and the owner of the raft would always come and find him and would bring him safely back. But something different happened last September. And he drifted not for a few days, not even for a few weeks. He was lost at sea for 49 days. He drifted well over a thousand miles from the coast of Indonesia all the way towards the waters of Guam where he was excuse me, eventually found by a Chinese shipping vessel that just happened to come by that shipping lane and spotted this raft out in sea where no raft should be out at sea. When they rescued the young man, they found that he had survived off a fish and partially filtered seawater. He he was malnourished. He was very excited, of course, to be rescued. He, He had prayed and hoped every day that someone would find him. But as the days went on, day after day after day, he had begun to lost hope that he would ever be found. He had lost his anchor. He was adrift. And each day he was being pulled farther and farther and farther out to see. This news caught my attention because it was quite astounding that he survived this. It was quite miraculous that that ship found him. And as I read it, I couldn't help but think about how often we come to passages in the scripture that invoke some of this nautical language, passages like the one that we read today. In Hebrews chapter 2, the the writer is is invoking this nautical language of drifting. He's using Greek terms that describe this very thing of being pulled out to sea, except he's not talking about a shipping vessel or a small raft. He's talking about what happens to us in our faith when we lose our anchor. He's talking about what happens to us when we're not rooted and anchored in our faith in Jesus Christ. And, And when we lose that grasp on our anchor, when we don't, as he says, pay closer attention to what we have heard and been taught, that then we drift away little by little, farther and farther, and eventually we are lost at sea. And so the writer of Hebrews here is instructing us, he is commanding us in regards to drifting of what we must do to stay anchored in our faith. And so I want to walk through this today and consider what God's Word calls us to. Again, God has given us in this first chapter of Hebrews 1 so much information, so many foundational things about our faith, about who Jesus is, about how Jesus is supreme and Jesus is greater than the angels and Jesus commands the entire universe. And now he's telling us what we need to do. And I pray that we will hear that word as we walk through it. Beginning with the first point there in your outline. The action we are to take is this. Point one, we are to pay attention to the Word. Pay attention to the Word. The writer of Hebrews starts in verse 1 by saying, Therefore, you've probably heard somebody say before, whenever there's a therefore, you need to ask, what's the therefore? Therefore. It's there to tell us, pay attention to what was just said. Something important came before this, and as a result of it, here's what we need to do. And so in chapter 1, what's important is this, 
foundation of who Jesus is, of how we see this connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament, how Christ is the one who fulfills all these things in the Old Testament, how everything in the Scripture points towards Jesus, how God has revealed His Word throughout the ages, and then here in chapter 1 we've read that Jesus is God's final revelation to us. And we don't need an extra word. And we don't need some extra sign. We have before us the word of Christ. The writer of Hebrews says we are to heed that word. We are to listen to that word. He says, therefore, you need to pay much closer attention to that word. The indication here is that perhaps the Hebrews weren't paying attention as they needed to. They, they were hearing the voices in their culture. They were hearing the Jewish community call out to them and say, you, you need to turn from this nonsense about Jesus. You need to come back to your, your original faith. And, and they were listening a bit too much to that. They weren't paying attention to what it was that they had heard. Pay attention. Pay much closer attention to what we have heard. You think about that. You and I hear things all the time, don't we? that there's probably a lot of things we hear that we don't need to pay attention to. Things that we hear that we can't unhear. Things that we hear all day long in our ears. Voices around us. Voices in the culture. But here the writer of Hebrews says there's something we need to pay especially close attention to. What, what we have heard. What we have heard in regards to what he has just shared about who Jesus is. That this is the command throughout the scripture. We are to listen to the words of Jesus. This is what Jesus said about his own words to the disciples. We often quote Matthew 28, the, the great commission in regards to going to the nations. But what are we to go to the nations with? In Matthew 28, beginning in verse 19, Jesus says to his disciples, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So Jesus says to his disciples, I, I have given you all these things. You've heard these things. Now take this and teach others. And then as we follow the New Testament, we follow how they take what they've been taught and then they teach it to others also. That's why Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so this is how the word is handed down. Jesus teaches the disciples. The disciples teach others. Paul taught Timothy. This word is passed down. This is how we have the word today. God entrusted this to reliable people who handed the word down. And we have before us the very word of God. And Jesus says we are to listen to it. We are to observe it. We are to teach it to others. The writer of Hebrews says we need to pay closer attention to it. You know, we live in a distracted world where we pay attention to all kinds of things that won't last, that are utter nonsense. And we too need to remember, we need to pay closer attention to this word. This is a reminder to us in the church today that everything we need to, that we do needs to be centered on the word of God. This is our foundation. That there's nothing else that's going to anchor us. We need to be anchored by the word. And he says if we're not, the warning here is that we will drift away. And again, that, that nautical term there, that this picture that if we're not paying attention, that term means 
holding tight to, anchored in. If we're not anchored in Christ, then, then we will drift. Pay attention. Pay attention. But when do you normally use that term, pay attention? Any parents ever use that with your kids? <laughs> I've been using that term a lot lately because we're teaching one of our children how to drive. And so I, I say often, pay attention. And it's not even just pay attention to what you're doing. It's, it's pay attention to what everybody else is doing. Pay attention to these other cars, the, these other drivers. I've been telling her that, that, that driving, part of it's knowing how to drive. A big part of it is, is knowing what's going on around you and, and what other people are doing. You've got to pay attention because so many other people aren't paying attention. And we saw this not too long ago. We were coming as a family down the Bluegrass Parkway. We were coming from Bardstown to Bloomfield. There wasn't much traffic on the road, and I noticed up ahead of us at a distance that there was a car that was just swerving back and forth, back and forth. And they'd, they'd slow down, then they'd speed up, then they'd swerve, slow down, speed up, then they'd swerve. And I thought, what in the world? They, you know, probably under the influence of something. Not sure what's going on here. And it got to the point where it, it didn't seem safe to stay behind them anymore. And so I was trying to navigate getting around them. And as I was trying to get around them, I asked Sandy, I was like, look and see what in the world is going on in that vehicle. And as she did, she saw a young man driving the car, not like this, but like this. He was watching a movie on his phone while going down the parkway. Now, if you're here this morning, that was you. I'd like to have a conversation with you after the service. He wasn't paying attention to the road at all. He was paying attention to something else. And as a result, what was happening? He was just drifting side to side. Now, that's what happens to us in our faith, friends. When we're not paying attention, when we're not focused on the Word of God, we tend to drift, we tend to swerve, and we don't go anywhere good. We don't drift towards righteousness. We don't drift into obedience. We don't drift into a better understanding of who God is towards orthodoxy. No, we drift farther and farther and farther and farther away from the truth. And the warning here is that if we don't stay focused, if we don't pay attention to what we've heard, what we've been taught about Jesus, then we are likely to drift. And the warning here is that there is no neutral. There is no standing still in our faith. We're either growing with Jesus, paying closer attention, or we are drifting away from Christ. That there's no middle ground here. When we celebrate today our graduates, we are very proud of you. You've... Uh, been here with our church for long enough you notice how we kind of have this cycle we'll have mother's day and we have this this family dedication and then usually uh, within a week or two we have graduation recognition and we're sending these kids out and, and if you're here long enough you start to say well gosh just the other day we dedicated this family with this new child now we're sending this child out into the world it goes really quick and what we also identify at times in this cycle is that sometimes as we send people out into the world they, they don't come back I worked in college ministry for a number of years. I saw this cycle often where students would be raised in a church and they'd go to college and they would just, they'd just drift away. I remember a conversation very well. When I was in college, I was a brand new Christian and 
But one of the first things I felt I needed to do was share the gospel with the people I knew in college. And so I lived there in a suite on campus. So I started sharing the gospel with my suite mates. And I remember uh, one particular young man named Chip talking to him about the gospel. Uh, Chip, everything in his life just screamed lostness. And his life was just full of lostness. And so as I started talking to him about the gospel, he, he quickly said to me, Oh, Richard, I, I'm a Christian. I was like, really? You're, you're a Christian? Yeah, yeah, I love Jesus. Yeah, I was raised. And he started telling me his, his resume of things he'd done in the church. And I said, well, Chip, honestly, I'm, I'm kind of surprised because there's nothing in your life that would indicate <laughs> that you're a follower of Christ. And he said, I know. Well, this is what I'm doing. See, I, I want to have fun while I'm in college. So, so it's kind of like this. I, I've just kind of taken my faith and I put it in a shoebox and I put it up on the shelf and I'm going to have fun, and then when I get out of school, I, I'm going to take it back off the shelf, and I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to have a family, and, and, and that's what I'm doing. I, I've just, I've kind of paused my faith for now. The, the writer of Hebrews here says there, there's no pausing our faith. When, when the anchor line is severed, we begin to drift. And we don't drift towards Jesus, we drift away from Jesus. I ran into Chip later, years later, and he, he was drifted into a sea of lostness. He never took that shoebox back down. He drifted farther and farther away. Friends, that's a warning to all of us, especially to our graduates today. You're not going to drift towards Christ in college. You have to pay attention to what the Word says. That's a warning for all of us. We don't get to a point in the Christian life where we can just put it on cruise control and just glide on through. If we don't have a daily discipline of spending time rooted in the Word of God, if we aren't seeking to know more about Christ and His creation on a daily basis, then friends, that anchor line is getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And if we're not careful, we will find ourselves, as the writer of Hebrews warns here, we will find ourselves adrift. There is no middle ground. There is no neutral position. And what we find then is point two, if we neglect the word, if we don't pay closer attention, if we neglect the word, then what we are really doing is we are rejecting the word. If we neglect the word, we are rejecting the word. Verse two, the writer says, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable in every transgression or disobedience received a, a just retribution. Here, the writer's doing what happened in chapter 1. He's taking us back to the Old Testament. He's helping us to see that the connection here between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and he's taking us back to the Old Testament, specifically to the giving of the law to God's people through Moses. It was common understanding that the way God gave his law to the people through Moses was there was some type of angelic revelation there. There was some type of angel involved in that. So God spoke to Moses through the angel. Moses then gave that word to the people. Here, the writer of Hebrews is calling us back to that, that that was an Old Testament understanding, that was a New Testament understanding. And many of you are familiar with Stephen, the disciple who was martyred for his faith. And as he's being martyred for his faith, he, he speaks of this very thing. In Acts chapter 7, beginning in verse 38, Stephen refers to Moses this way. As the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers receiving living oracles that were given to us. 
And so the writer of Hebrews says God's word was revealed. How was it revealed? God gave it to the angel. The angel gave it to Moses. Moses gave it to the people. Now again, there's this seemingly preoccupation with angels, but if you were with us last week, hopefully you understand that a bit better. In Hebrews chapter 1, the writer of Hebrews, I think, is responding to a, a misunderstanding about the role of angels in the Messiah and basically saying Jesus is greater, Jesus is supreme. And so here he's saying, listen, there was this angelic revelation in the Old Testament, but notice what happened when it was given. And every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. If you were with us when we studied through the book of Exodus, or if you just know much about the Old Testament at all, you, you know what happens when God gives this law to his people. That the people rebel. You remember what happened when Moses was up the mountain receiving the, the word from God through the angel? What, what were the people doing at the bottom of the mountain? Melting down their gold. <laughs> and making an idol to worship. What happens time and time again when God gives his word to his people? Time and time again, they disobey his word. They rebel against it. And so we see this common theme, that this common trend in the Old Testament. God gives his word, the people rebel against the word. But we also see God gives a consequence to that rebellion. Now, consequence isn't a politically correct term, especially in the context of the church today we don't like to talk about consequences but notice what we see here in hebrews 2 every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution paul gives us an example of those in first corinthians chapter 10 he refers back to what happened with the golden calf he refers back to several situations where god's people rebelled against him and he writes this in first corinthians 10 beginning in verse 6 now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, for as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. He's referring here to the golden calf. Or he says we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. He's referring here to where God's people refused to obey him. They intermarried with people that worship pagan gods, and God wiped out 23,000 of them in one day. Brought his judgment on them. Or, he says, we must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and they were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but were written down for our instruction. So here there's this, Emphatic warning that we're, we're to pay attention to the word and we're to remember that there is a consequence that comes with drifting away. We don't just neglect the word, we, we reject it. And when we do, we receive a consequence. The writer of Hebrews here says they receive just retribution. Just retribution. That, that means they receive the righteous judgment of God, that they received the wrath of God, they received judgment. And that's another unpopular term in the church today, judgment. We often talk about, we, we don't like those judgmental Christians. What kind of church do you go to? Well, I, I don't go to one of those judgmental churches. I, I don't want to be around all those people judging 
and we have a, a very negative connotation with anything surrounding judgment or judging. And, and, and some of that has to do with the hypocrisy that's found in so many churches and so many Christians today. Jesus speaks to hypocrisy. He calls us to repent of it. So, so some people are, are saying they, 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 they're put off by judgment because they've experienced people who ignored the sin in their own life and called others out in their sin. And that's the exact opposite of what Jesus tells us to do. So if that's been your experience, if that's what you associate with the church, know that what you've experienced is unrepentant sin in the life of someone who professes to be a Christian but may indeed not be one. Jesus says before we can see clearly to remove the speck from our brother's eye, we have to take the enormous log out of our eye first. I.e., before you confront a brother or sister in sin, look in the mirror. But what Jesus does not say is look in the mirror, realize you're a sinner, and then never say anything to them. And that's what the culture has adopted. And that's why the culture says, well, no, we don't want any of that judgmental stuff. No, the Scripture preaches judgment over and over again. You cannot separate judgment from God. God is a God who judges. They receive just retribution. Let me give you just one example of this call this reminder of God's righteous judgment we have in the Scripture. Psalm 7, in the seventh psalm, beginning in verse 11, this is what the psalmist says, who is singing a praise to God. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation in every way. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Do you hear what the psalmist is saying? The psalmist is saying if, if a man, a woman, if, if somebody refuses to repent, God is ready to wipe them out. Scripture says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. God judges sin. You continue in the psalm, notice the psalmist's response to this, this judging God, this judgmental God that so many in our culture want to have nothing to do with. The psalmist says, I will give to the Lord the thanks due His righteousness. And I will sing praise to the name of the Lord the Most High. The psalmist says, our God will judge sin rightly, he will wipe out the sinner rightly, and I will praise him for that. Why? Because it's because he is a God of judgment that we have the gospel in its entirety. Because on the cross, God judged sin. And he placed the judgment that we deserve on Christ. And if we will repent and trust in him, we, we receive this righteousness that we don't deserve. And there's nothing to do there but for us to praise God. We, we didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. God is just. We deserve just retribution. God is gracious and merciful. He's given us His Son who, who received that just retribution on our behalf. And He's called us to repent and turn from our sin and to trust in Him. And then the writer of Hebrews says, we, we don't want to neglect this great truth. We want to hold fast to this great truth. But if we neglect it, Consider what we are rejecting. 
And consider what then we have coming for us. Point three. If we reject the word, we will face God's wrath. Again, I, I realize this is, this is not a pick-me-up sermon point. <laughs> How was church yesterday? Oh, it was good. The pastor said if I reject the word, then I'm going to face God's wrath. And he read a psalm to us about God wetting his sword with the blood of man. It was great. We had a great day. Listen, I'll be honest with you. It's far more comforting for me to tell you more stories about people that I've seen driving like an idiot on the parkway. and Tell you stuff about my kids. and Make you laugh every once in a while. But if I don't warn you, if I don't tell you the truth of what this says, that's the most damning thing I could give you. God is gracious to us. We are drifting on that raft out to sea, and he has sent us a boat of rescue. And he has told us, if we will not respond, if we will reject him, we need to be warned of what is to come. Verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? How, he asks, how, how can we get away from God's wrath if we refuse this message of salvation. Again, there's a comparison here. He, he says, look to the Old Testament, this word given through the angel to Moses, to the people. So God's, God's inspired word, but that's the way he gave it. And now he's established Jesus is greater than the angels. He's, he's the great prophet, the great priest, the great king. He, he is the fullness and the final revelation of God. And if they rejected that revelation then and God wiped out 23,000 in a day, what's coming to us? What, what more do we deserve? And we can't escape it. We see here this, this argument that Jesus is superior and if we reject that which is superior, then, then we rightly deserve the judgment of God. I've encountered people often and had this conversation with them about God and whenever the idea of judgment comes up very quickly I'll have people respond well you know I, I don't really like the God of the Old Testament so much you know the God of the Old Testament just seems to be judging all the time but I, I really like the God of the New Testament you know because God in the New Testament he's just so gracious and loving I will often say well may I read from you from the Old and New Testament about this Hebrews is in the New Testament. And here in the New Testament, he is speaking to us saying that if they couldn't escape judgment then, how, how in the world do we think we're going to escape it now if we neglect this message? So this is what this says. If you neglect the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you sit in this church week after week and hear the gospel proclaimed and you neglect it, there is no escape for you. Yeah, well, pastor, I mean, you know, I just don't believe like you do. I don't care what you believe. And, and honestly, it doesn't matter what I believe. It's what is the truth of Scripture. What has God revealed to us? Not what do I think, what do you think, what do other people think, what does somebody else come up with, what somebody else is thinking. What has God revealed to us in His Word? He has revealed to us. 
this great salvation. That this great hope we have in Jesus. But he has warned us here, if we think we can escape what will come if we neglect it and if we reject it. There is nowhere to run and hide. Yeah, but God's just so much more forgiving in the New Well, let's read some more New Testament. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 7. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. Does that sound harsh? It's what God's word says. And, and our temptation, again, this goes back to the garden, our, our temptation, well, was well, that really what it says? Is that really what God means? And notice how the writer of Hebrews now just kind of builds on this argument. He, he said, listen, judgment's coming. Then he says it was declared first by the Lord, then it was attested to us by those who heard. And so he says, listen, th this is what Jesus said. This isn't something somebody came up with later. This is what Jesus said. And we talked about this a few weeks ago when we were talking about the, the resurrection, the crucifixion. Remember Jesus in Luke chapter 23, he's on his way to the cross and he's been beaten, he's been scorned, he's been mocked and he, he's being led to the cross and people are just mobs around him and there's this scene where these women are just weeping and wailing for him. And do you remember what Jesus says? He stops and turns to those women and says, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. Weep for your children. Because the judgment of God is coming so fiercely that they're going to be crying out for God to drop mountains on them to put them out of their misery. And that's not going to happen. Jesus warns us to flee the wrath that is coming. Does that sound harsh? Does it sound judgmental? It would be a rather hopeless situation were it not for what happened on that cross. And now the great news of the gospel is we, we don't have to stand under that judgment and that wrath. We can place our hope and our trust fully in Jesus. We, we, we can place our faith in Jesus. We can be covered by the righteousness of Jesus. But if we foolishly think that we're just going to put this on pause, put this on hold, save that for another day, and then we are rejecting this offer. And God has given us so much to consider. He's confirmed this word over and over again, which brings us to that fourth point. God has confirmed his word through signs and wonders and spiritual gifts. Again, the writer of Hebrews at length here wants us to understand that this word is confirmed by God. It's attested by God. He, he's given it to us through Jesus. He's, he, he's attested to it by witnesses. He's given signs and wonders and spiritual gifts. All these things to say the word is true. Again, time doesn't permit us to go deep into this, but, but just in a, in a quick summary, there's so much confusion in the church today about signs and wonders and spiritual gifts. Notice the context here. The context here is God's word is supreme, his son is supreme, and here's all these things that are subservient, that, that, that serve the word, that serve Christ, that, that affirm Christ, and signs and wonders and gifts are one of those things. But notice what he says, that, that God did this. Verse 4, God also bore witness. He, he offered these things for a time to support the word. 
So, for example, that's why you see in the book of Acts things like Pentecost where God miraculously does this work through the Holy Spirit and they're speaking in tongues and there's miracles taking place early in the book of Acts. But as you go through the book of Acts, you see those signs and wonders and miraculous things that they, they kind of get further and further apart. Why? Because the word's being confirmed. And now we have something greater. You, you don't need a sign today. You, you don't need a miraculous gift today. You, you need the word and God's given it to you. But so often we hold these things up completely separate from the Word. Sometimes we offer up things and say, well, here's a sign from God that's completely contradictory to the Word. Here the writer of Hebrews says, no, that these things serve in their function to confirm God's Word. These gifts by the Holy Spirit to drip, distribute according to His will, that these are all things to confirm. This is the Word. This is who Jesus is. Now what are you going to do about it? Are you going to be anchored to Christ or not? The writer of Hebrews tells us God has gone to great lengths to give us His Word, to give us His Son. Christ is our anchor. The Gospel is what grounds us in the midst of a world that has gone adrift. And if we're not careful, friends, we will go drifting with it. But the writer of Hebrews here is encouraging us and saying we, we can be rooted in something that will keep us from drifting, ever drifting. We, we can be tied to an anchor in a way that that line will never be severed. In fact, further down the road, Hebrews 6.19, he refers to Jesus this way. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. It can't be broken, is what he says. And that's, that's good news. That, that means that you can be anchored by something greater than your emotions, which change often. You, you can be anchored by something greater than your circumstances, many of which you have no control over. You, you can be anchored by something surer and steady and solid in your faith in Jesus Christ. So when you lay your head down at night and you realize that you failed that day, you don't go drifting off because you failed. You're reminded that Christ is your anchor. And when you get the phone call that just turns your world upside down, you don't have to go drifting, but you can trust in Christ because he's, he's your anchor. It's not your circumstances that anchor you. And when life turns out radically different than you thought it would, when tragedy comes, when suffering comes, when all these harsh things come into your life, you don't have to just go drifting. You can hold firm in your faith in Jesus Christ. But it may be that you've never had that faith. It may be that whatever you were anchored to was so temporal... <laughs> that that line snapped a long time ago and you are drifting out to the sea of destruction. God has sent you a boat. Imagine how foolish it would have been for that Indonesian teenager after being at sea for 49 days, dehydrated, malnourished, Imagine how foolish it would have been on day 49 for him to see that boat and hear that call and for him to say to that boat, I'm okay. I got at least two more days of fish here. I'll be fine. 
kind of like being out here. Nobody tells me what to do. <laughs> it's pretty out here. I'm sure another boat will come along. I'm sure I'll be saved in some other way. I mean, gosh, you're, you're 100 yards from me. I don't know that I want to swim that far. Imagine how foolish it would be to refuse rescue in an utter and dire situation. Friends, that's how foolish so many of us are when we refuse the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has sent you a boat. Will you get on it? If you would, pray with me. Father God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the offer of salvation. And the great thing about this offer, Lord, is we don't need to swim 100 yards. We don't need to walk five feet. <laughs> we can call out to you and confess that we indeed are sinners. And that Christ indeed is Lord. Lord, you have revealed yourself to us and you have told us in very plain language in your word that all have sinned and fall short of your glory and the wages of that sin is death. But you have demonstrated your love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died on the cross for our sins. And Lord, you have revealed to us in your word that if we will confess Jesus as Lord and if we'll believe in our heart that you raised him from the dead, that we'll be saved. And you've revealed to us that all who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, we need not drift. So, Father, I pray that we would heed the command of your word today. Lord, that we would pay much closer attention. Lord, if there's any here who's so distracted by the world that they can't see that, I pray, Lord, that you would remove those distractions, that they might see the truth and the glory of your word. Father, I thank you that Jesus died on the cross to save sinners like me. And I pray that that truth would resound throughout this room and throughout this community and throughout this world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.